So uh, we're in our second week of our Advent series, and, and last week we said that the most mind-boggling claim of Christianity is this, that on the first Christmas, God, our eternal God, our God who created the universe, our God who, who sustains it all, whose very word is powerful beyond imagination, this God, our God, placed himself into his world, into his creation as a baby. That right there is the most mind-boggling claim of Christianity. There is nothing crazier in all reality. There is nothing crazier in all of fiction than the reality of Christmas. And here's the deal. Christmas demands our attention. Christmas is all about Almighty God coming to earth as one of us. This is the true wonder of Christmas. I think we miss it a lot because of the busyness of the Christmas season and all the, the demands. I think the wonder of Christmas is only seen if, if you don't get too distracted by all of the consumerism and, and you get back to the basics. And so that's my prayer for us this morning, is that we would see and cherish the basics in, in a new way, that, that we would maybe experience some relief from the, the stress and the demands of this whole season and our culture in the season. I think this passage does this for us. It helps us see and appreciate the basics. So what happens in this account that, that was just read, uh, the, the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, and the angel said, Mary, here's what's going to happen. Even though you are a virgin, you're going to give birth. Now that right there is crazy enough, Right? You're a virgin, but you're going to give birth. Not only that, you're going to give birth to God, the creator of the universe. I mean, that's cr can you imagine what was going through her head when, she, when an angel shows up and then the angel says she's going to have birth as a virgin and that she's going to give birth to God? I, 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 can't, I can't imagine that. The angel also tells Mary that her relative Elizabeth, who's very old at this point, and barren, she's going to have a baby too because Gabriel said that nothing is impossible with God. And then when the angel left, right, Mary immediately got ready, bolted out the door, ran to Elizabeth, and when she gets there, her heart is so full, her heart is Exploding, and so she breaks into song so deep with such powerful truth that if we meditate on it, it will change us. If we take it seriously, it will change us. That's my prayer for us. That this is not just another Christmas message because it's Christmas time and that's what you do. My prayer is that all of us would ask the Holy Spirit to change us in this time as we go through this. Now, I want to start by connecting uh, what happened here to our world. 
Our world is filled with brokenness, isn't it? There's homelessness, HIV and AIDS, murders and mass shooting, another school shooting this last week, abusive relationships, loneliness, families that are being ripped apart, just to name a few, and it's just all overwhelming. It's crushing. And you know, Shannon and I talk every now and then. The conversation usually goes something like this, where Shannon, a bunch of stuff will happen all at once. And Shannon will say something like, you know what, it kind of makes you just shake your head and throw up your hands and, and, uh, and wonder, you know, is there any hope? I feel like I can't do anything or make a difference. And then she says that we can begin by not being naive. And I really do think that's an important place to start. We don't, we don't want to look at the brokenness. We, we, we don't want to, to, um, to, to see it or hear about it or be around it. But here's the deal. The hope of God and the message of Christmas becomes infinitely more important uh, to me when I see, when I look at the harsh realities in, in our, our, our world. When, when I look at my own heart and my own life and I see my, my own weakness, my own mistakes, my own sin. Nothing good happens by ignoring it being in denial and sweeping it under the rug. Nothing good comes from that. And so when we look at it, when we see it, when we ask God, give us eyes to see, you know what it does for me personally? It makes me long for this world to be fixed, to beg God to transform me, to transform our world. It makes me desperate for all of the things that we see that are wrong in the world to be set right. And only God can do that. That snaps you out of going through the, the frantic Christmas motions. And I'm telling you, it is then when we see what God has done for us in Christ that it fills us with a very real hope, not some kind of Pollyanna optimism or wishful thinking. It fills you with relief. And thank God. He came to us, and he entered into our broken world. And so I believe with all of my heart that our lives can be changed. I believe with all of my heart that, that our world can be radically changed if we get Christmas, if we behold it at a more profound level than, than we're used to. Because even though this life is hard, our hope is this, that the first Christmas means that God has come to save his people. If you're taking notes, that's the first thing I want you to write down. God has come to save his people. And that right there becomes more real to us and more cherished by us when we experience the brokenness in our world. When we see the, the, the weakness in our own hearts and lives, the sin in our own hearts and lives. And then Mary points us to God our Savior when she says, my soul magnifies 
the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And Gabriel said to Mary, you are to give the child the name Jesus. The Hebrew word is Yeshua, which means Jehovah saves. And Mary rejoices. Her heart is exploding with joy because the baby in her womb is God our Savior and who has finally come to save his people. Now this right here, she knows, she sees now that this is the fulfillment of the great promise that we see throughout the Old Testament, what they've been looking for, longing for, praying for. It's happening now. And you know what's interesting to me is in the song of, of Mary that she refers to the Old Testament 19 different times. And every single time she refers to the Old Testament, uh, it's, it's connected to the central promise of the Old Testament that the Lord will come to save his people from sin, death, and judgment. And God always keeps his promises. Amen? You know what this means? This means that the entire Old Testament points to Christmas. The entire Old Testament stirs an anticipation of Christmas. It starts back in Genesis 3. God gave Adam and Eve just one rule and one rule only. I mean, they could do anything else that they wanted to do. They could run around naked outside all day, and it was fine. The only rule they had was don't eat of this tree. There was nothing wrong with the tree. There was nothing wrong with the fruit. It was good, but it was a test. Would they trust God or not? And when they ate of it, they they didn't just simply break some little old rule. They were saying, when they broke this rule, when they ate of the tree, when God told them not to, what they were saying to God was, you know what, God? We don't need you. In fact, we don't trust you. We don't think that you have our best interests at heart. So we will decide for ourselves about the tree and what's right and what's wrong. So forget you. That is what's in all of our hearts. When we are disobedient to God, when we, it's a lack of trust, right? So they rejected God, and the whole story should have ended right there with Adam and Eve dead under the tree. But it didn't. And the only reason it didn't is because God intervened with a powerful promise. And his his powerful promises, he always makes good on them. In Genesis 3.15, he basically says, I'm going to send you a savior. And this evil death and judgment that you deserve, I'm going to send a savior to deliver you and save you from that. And it will be a battle that he will fight and he will suffer in that battle and yet he will be victorious. Without this promise, there would be no 
Bible history. Without this promise, there would be no human history. But God intervened with a promise, a promise of a Savior. And so the rest of the Bible and the rest of human history is all about God fulfilling that promise. And in the Old Testament, we see God send a series of of saviors like Moses and Joshua and Gideon and Deborah and Samson and David, just to name a few. And all of them suffered on behalf of God's people as they did battle against their enemies. And you know what? All of them brought some victory, but none of them could deliver God's people from the ultimate enemies of evil and death and eternal judgment. You know why? Because they were sinners and needed a Savior too. So here's the truth. Your need and my need are so great. And God's promises are so great that it required that the Lord himself show up to save his people. And that is exactly what he did. And that, right there, is what Christmas is about. So let me break it down. This this right here is the message of Christmas, that the Lord has kept his promise. That is the Christmas message right there. Jesus shows up and he does battle with our enemies. We see him heal the blind and cast out demons and he raises the dead. And on the cross, he battles the enemy head on. And we see Jesus suffer and he is crucified, dead and buried. But then, on the third day, he rose from the dead and he conquered evil, death, and eternal judgment. For 40 days, he appeared to his disciples And he ascends to heaven, and his followers stand there, watching, speechless, jot draws. And two angels say to them, this same Jesus that you see ascending into heaven, know this, he will return. He'll come back in the same way. And here's what this means for you today, right here, uh, right now. As we are exposed to the relentless wave after wave after wave of news, TV, radio, internet, just horrible news of devastation, or the horrible news of oppression around the world. As you see um, the brokenness, as, as you see racism exposed, but then so many ignore it. As you see families fall apart. As you struggle with your, your own problems, your own struggle, your own sin, your own weakness. Remember this. God came to us on that first Christmas just as he promised and he is coming again. The king will return and he will make everything wrong in the world right. That is our hope. 
And so the second thing I want us to see is that a new day has dawned. A new day has dawned. Mary sings of that new day in verse 52, and, and she says this, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Time out. What? You know, I hate to contradict the Bible, but our world doesn't work like that, does it? Does it? No. But I think that's the point. Mary's not singing about how this world works. She's singing about the end of her world and the beginning of a totally new world. In this world, we expect the rich to have all of the advantages and for the poor to go away honey, uh, hungry. And, but in God's new world, it's just the opposite. In God's new world, in the kingdom of God, the rich go away empty-handed and the poor get all of the blessings. And, and did you notice how she uses past tense here? This is something I bring up every now and then. It's amazing how, you know, to me when I notice how the past tense is so often used. It says, he has brought down the mighty. And it says that, that he has filled the hungry with good things. And he has sent away the rich empty. Why does she use the past tense here as if it already happened? For two reasons. First, when the Bible talks about what God will do in the future and constantly uses past tense, it is emphasizing that it is so certain it's as if it's already happened. You can count on it. Because God always keeps his promises. But there's a second reason why Mary uses the past tense. It's because this new day that she's talking about has already dawned. And Mary is living proof. <laughs> okay. God brought the, the, the most, the, the craziest the, the greatest blessing imaginable beyond our imagination being the woman who bears God's son, not, not to a princess or a celebrity, but to a poor nobody from a little hick town. She was a single mom in a trailer park in the sticks, and that is who God chose to bring salvation to his people. She's evidence that a new day has dawned. That just doesn't make sense in our world, does it? But Mary's singing about a new world where everything is upside down. And she's singing because that, that, new, word, that new world has already dawned. And in this new world, the poor and lowly are lifted up and the rich and powerful are brought down. Okay, so what difference does this make in your life? in my life today, here, and now? Well, I know that many of you, as I interact with so many of you throughout the week, uh, some of you are feeling pretty low this Christmas. And, you know, ask you how you're doing. Not so good right now. Maybe um, 
work is stressing you out. Um, or the lack of work is just stressing you out. And money's incredibly tight. You're under crushing debt. And now you're struggling with, you know, do I buy Christmas presents or not? And then you do, and then you have more debt. And maybe you're just feeling weak emotionally right now or physically right now. You have the flu or maybe you have cancer. Maybe your life's just been turned upside down by divorce or rejection or the loss of a loved one. You know, you, when you imagined your life years ago, it wasn't supposed to look like this. And you're just tired of feeling like a failure. If that's you right now, if life is just hard right now, I want you to know this. That Christmas is for you. Christmas is for the hurting. It's for the crushed. It's for the lonely. It's for the losers. It's for the nobody. Christmas is for you and me. And the amazing, mind-blowing thing is this, that God has come to us to meet us in our hurt and, and in our sorrow. He's come to meet with us in our weakness and in our failure and to lift us up. So whatever it is that you're going through right now, whatever you are struggling with and and, and suffering, it does not cut you off from the true joy of Christmas. What it does is it makes Christmas more important to you. Maybe you're sitting there going, Pastor Matt, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who these people are that are suffering. Life is great. I'm healthy. I'm young. I'm good looking. I got a new job. Everything's cool. What are you talking about? (sighs) A couple things. I'm telling you right now, and you're not going to care right now, but you will later. Um, It's just a matter of time before things start falling apart. I'm not me, it's not me being a Debbie Downer, wah, wah, wah. That is the life, that is the world that we live in. So my hope and prayer is that you remember this. Secondly, there's a very good chance that you have not asked the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the the idolatry and sin and apathy and lack of love that you have for God and his kingdom. There's a very good chance that you haven't asked him to graciously and lovingly show you the true diagnosis of of your heart. Because if you are not desperate for God, then you are dangerously blind to your need for salvation, your need for God's grace and mercy. When you ask him to show you the sin in your heart, he graciously and lovingly answers those prayers. And you know what happens? If you're taking it seriously, the Holy Spirit has truly exposed to you, yes, 
you will feel crushed. But God doesn't leave you there. You have to know the bad news to appreciate and cherish the good news. So when you see brokenness in the world, when you see the brokenness in your own heart and, and life, then the truth of Christmas becomes important to you. And it fills your heart with, with, with hope and relief and, and joy. And then third, that brings us to our, our last point. All of this, this salvation is all of God's mercy. Mercy. Twice Mary praises God for mercy. I mean, she is, she is floored by the amazing wonder of God's mercy. And so what is mercy? Mercy is kindness to someone who does not deserve it, cannot earn it, and will never repay it. I'm telling you, men, I am painfully aware of my need for mercy. God does answer those prayers. God, show me what's in my heart. God, do whatever it is that you need to do in my life to make me love you more and to become more like you. God answers those, those prayers. And I'm telling you, it, it can be brutal sometimes, but it is God's painful grace sometimes that, that, that brings healing to your heart. When I think about the sin in my own heart, when I think about the mistakes I make, when I think how I may have hurt somebody, when I think about how you know, I, I might cherish uh, comfort over ambition or cherish ambition over people. I am painfully aware of my need for mercy. And Mary helps us see this for all of us. And what she's saying here is, God has blessed me not because of anything that I have done to deserve it, but only, it's just straight up out of God's mercy. This is critical to your faith right here to see this. In verse 48, when Mary says, God has looked on the humble estate of his servant, what she is not saying is, God has seen my amazing humility and blessed me because I am so awesomely humble. She's not saying that. What Mary is saying is, God has seen my humiliation and has blessed me in spite of it. And then verse 49, she says, holy is his name. Mary realizes that, that God is holy. Mary, the mother of Jesus, realizes that she herself is a sinner and deserves God's judgment just like the rest of us. But instead of judging her, God blesses her. And if God blessed her because of something that she had done, then it's not mercy, is it? It would be a reward for her goodness, and, and Mary should get all of the praise. But she praises God for the great things that he has done for her, for his kindness 
to someone who does not deserve it, cannot earn it, and cannot and will not ever repay it. So, so let me ask you, are you personally overwhelmed by the mercy that, that God has shown to you? I mean, does that stir anything in you? I mean, to in a certain way, it should wreck us. Like, I cannot believe. Or are you preoccupied with, man, that person should show, I deserve more mercy. I deserve more mercy. And you're frustrated with everybody else. Do you see what you deserve? Do I see, am I aware of what I deserve? which is judgment, but God has given me mercy. Are you aware of God's mercy in your life? Does it fill you with relief and joy? My desire is that's, that's the culture of our church. That we are just overwhelmed by God's mercy. We'll end with, I think, is a very critical question that can shape our life starting today. How can we respond to this good news about God's grace and mercy? How can we respond to the truth of Christmas? Mary shows us, first, if we really are his people and appreciate his grace and mercy, we will worship God for it. Our hearts will be filled with worship. If, here's, the, here's the thing, okay? If worshiping God for his mercy is, is not a part of who we are, it means that we're just posers, you know? Why even waste our time why, why go through the motions? If God seems far away, it'll be hard to love people. It'll be hard to be sacrificed. It'll be hard to sacrifice for, for people. It'll be difficult to, to forgive people. And there will be no lasting joy in our hearts and it'll be replaced with bitterness and discontent and self-centeredness. The only solution to that is the reality of Christmas. Jesus was born in the shadow of the cross. And the cross says to us that we are so lost that nothing less than the death of God the Son could save us. But the cross also points to God's mercy, that God loves us so much that he was glad to die for us. It's right here if we grasp that. This is the gospel and what transforms Christmas for us. This is what will change us. This is what changes our neighborhood. This is what changes our city. This is what changes the world to see that the baby in the manger is the same person who was born to die on the cross for our sin. And so now, secondly, we can live as people of the new day. That's the second way we respond. 
The Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 13 this. He says, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Our salvation is near. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Paul is saying that even as Christians, we can still live under the influence of darkness. And so we need to wake up to the reality of Christmas and know where we are in the history of the world according to his kingdom. Christmas means that it's sunrise, okay? And Christmas means you don't have to be fooled by and under the oppression of darkness. Night is nearly over and a new day is dawning. So this is why we reach out to the poor. When you see... uh, someone who's homeless and in need and asking for help, is, is your response, I wonder if they deserve it. The same way spiritually, we, we don't deserve anything. But God was generous to us, so this is why we reach out to the poor, because we're poor spiritually. This is why we look for ways to love our neighbor, because God loved us. This is why we long to make a difference in the world, because God made a difference in our lives. It, it's not to earn God's favor. It's not to show how you know, awesome we are. It is because a new day has dawned, and you are a part of it. And then last... We need to worship God for his mercy, live as people in a new day, and do all of this in community. We got to do this together because we're in this together. And it will not work any other way. It'll be messy. But it's God through Christ who unites us. And because of that, we experience the reality of God better together than on our own. You know, um, you know, some people might think, you know, Pastor uh, Matt, Matt is a pastor, and so he probably wakes up with a glowing halo around his giant head. <laughs> and he just kind of floats through the day, you know, above the ground, because... He's so close to God and so Christ-like. Look, man, I know my own brokenness and weakness. I'm right there with you. Um, I need to, God's called me to live a life of repentance and then greater faith in, in, in Christ and his, his grace. So there are times when it's a struggle to read my Bible Believe it or not, I have not memorized the whole Bible yet. So I struggle with that. And you know what? I asked Tony Escobedo. You all know Tony Escobedo? Known him for 30 years. A couple weeks ago, I asked him if he would join me at 7 o'clock in the morning in my office. I was kind of struggling to have that desire to read and listen to what God has to say through his word. And one of the best ways to get to know God is to see who he is and how he's revealed himself through his scripture. And Tony said yes, and so he shows up with sleepy eyes and two cups of coffee, one for me, one for him. 
and we read through a passage of scripture and discuss it and pray through it. And it has been like water to my soul. It is so much better in community than on, than on your own. If Mary had not gone to Elizabeth, both would have missed out. When Mary greeted Elizabeth, the baby inside Elizabeth leaped for joy. And as a result, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and realized that Mary's baby was the Lord. And Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed are you among women. You are the mother of the Lord. And Elizabeth affirmed Mary's calling and strengthened Mary's faith. And they would have both missed out on that. And so would we. We wouldn't have these words to encourage us in the midst of our own brokenness and sin and broken world. We wouldn't have Mary's deep words of praise and worship. Words that, that open our eyes to the wonder of God's mercy in, illustrated and, and, and brought to us on that first Christmas morning. And the point is this, that, that things happen to you in, in the messiness of, of community that, that cannot happen to you on your own. So worship God for his mercy and live as people of new day in community with one another. Our hope is found in the basics that Christmas means that God has come to save his people. Christmas means that a new day has dawned. Christmas means that it's all of God's mercy. And I pray that we will all be able to celebrate in a whole new way this year. And I pray that by the grace of God, our life and our world will be changed because we behold the real Christmas. Amen? Heavenly Father, We are so undeserving of, of your mercy. We, it's so easy, God, to think, I don't deserve this bad thing. I don't deserve that bad thing. When actually we deserve so much worse. Because all of us so often turn our backs against you and ignore you and reject you and, and uh, become demanding. And so personally, God, I, I confess that to you. God, help us to see our desperate need for you. And God, I pray that it would transform us not just as individuals, but as a ragtag group of, of Christians who need your grace and mercy and the good news of Jesus. God, I pray, Lord, that, that, um, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts right now and... Um, Expose in our hearts our, um, our grip, the, our, the, the, the sin in our hearts where we have a, a grip on, on our rights or we have a grip on, um, on uh, what, we, what we think 
will make us happy, but it's just not become a reality in our life when we're just not letting it go. God, I, I pray that, that your spirit would show us uh, the peace and the relief that we have in, in you. And then God, help us show us how we can show your grace and mercy and love to, to other people in our church and outside of our church. God, I pray if there's anybody here who has not put their faith and trust in you, God, I pray that, that you would open uh, their eyes to see that they don't have to live in this broken world by themselves all alone. And so, God, I pray that you would draw them into yourself and into your family. God, change us this morning. Fill our hearts with worship. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. We pray this in your name.